lawyer talk once again in the bunker. Uh, we are, I guess, off the record on the air from the bunker coming at you uh, with yet another special COVID edition. We have uh, uh, our ongoing uh, special scientific guest, uh, Dr. Chris Pulaski. Uh, Doc, how are you doing this morning? Doing all right. Uh, Jared, of course, is remote, and we are all uh, keeping our social distance, although, uh, man, I'm getting sick of it. I got to tell you, I'm getting sick of it, uh, but we'll uh, we'll get to that and much, much more. Lots of scientific updates coming, uh, and uh, you know, I, I also want to spend some time today talking a bit about uh, federalism, uh, what the federal government uh, has the power to do, what they don't have the power to do, what they should have the power to do, and what some people believe they do and do not have the power to do. In other words, uh, there's been a bunch of debate about whether our president can open up the country, shut down the country, force the states to do things, and uh, all that is relevant with a little scientific flair uh, added in. So lots to cover this morning. Uh, maybe let's just sort of start with the science and the numbers, Doc. Uh, where are we on, on things, generally speaking? Well, you know, it looks like um, New York uh, hit its peak because the the death rate's starting to drop there. Uh, the I think the last three days or last two days uh, they've been under 700 uh, for a while. They're above 700 every day. Um, the number of case, a number of deaths per day is starting to uh, decline, but you never know. You know, you can have a few days where it goes down, then it then it goes up. So, you know, we're I'd say the United States still in the still in the thick of it. Now, I heard tale about folks um, complaining about how they're counting deaths and what is a death and what isn't a death related to COVID. Obviously, we know what a death is, but uh, right. it, 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 there was sort of this gen- general thing that if somebody died and they were a certain age, it's just getting classified as COVID death. Uh, and, and does that skew the numbers at all, or is that just something that uh, is uh, propaganda, I guess, for lack of a better word? You know, I, I haven't heard anything on uh, and complaints about what counts as a death. Um, I, I have to think that I think the criteria is, you know, they were COVID positive. They had the symptoms and, you know, succumbed to some uh, respiratory failure. Gotcha. Uh, I don't know how you could cook the books on that one. <laughs> well, and then, well, then they were getting. You, you can, you can, <laughs> they, 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 you can be a cancer patient. They're going to label it as, you know, I mean, depending on how far along you are, depending on where you're at, you could have, you know, what I mean, yeah, that makes. I mean, there, there's, 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 there's ways. I mean, if you get shot, and you have Corona. Well, they're not going to be able to match that, right? You know? But if, if there could be some other. I guess lines that could be blurred. Now it was also getting blurred the other way though, because I, I heard that uh, say they were just finding somebody dead in their home uh, and they were maybe not calling that a COVID death. So who knows, I guess it's like anything else. Statistics are yeah, what they no, are. No, there's, I'm sure it's both sides. I'm sure there's going to yeah. be a number that we missed. I mean, you're just kind of getting in the general area. That's really what people got to look at. You know what I mean? Right. Instead right. of dying and being like, well, they did this. Oh yeah. Well, they did this. Because I don't want to go too far into it, man, but we were getting news. Just so our listeners know, today's Tuesday, April 14th, 2020. And the news has stopped and it's turned to views and opinions. Yeah. And it's just getting nasty. 
Well, and I'm going to get, we're going to get to a lot of that in a second. Um, you know, doc, I wanted to talk about, uh, you sent us all this documentary. Um, and you know, obviously there was a bent to it. And, and this is one of the things that I tend to hate about our media coverage in this country on both sides of the aisle, whether you stand politically left or right or, or whatever, there's always an agenda and there's always a a way to make it look like something other than what it is. And, And maybe this turned out to be that. But essentially, it was a group that did a documentary that was trying to establish evidence for the conclusion that uh, the Chinese scientists may have manufactured this or assisted in the virus manufacture uh, by using uh, some of the older corona-type viruses and then combining that with uh, some other stuff, and it comes out with 19. What, uh, where do we stand on that? Because I know you went back and did your own independent or, or tried to do your own investigation on it. Yeah, it you know, it was very convincing, very polished. Uh, and, you know, when I first saw it, um, you know, and this was that, that piece from the e- Epoch Times. Yeah. And, and they're very, they, I mean, they're basically exist as a, um, to be against the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, that's really, so everything they do is aimed at, making them look bad or limiting their power. And not, not a bad agenda. If you, if you ask me, anyway. no, no, not at all. Uh, and, and I think they took liberties with some of the scientific data that had been generated. So what they did, so they claim that basically like a Frankenstein virus was made like a little, a little piece of HIV, a little piece of the old SARS, you know, and, and created this. And, what they did was they, and they cited really prestigious biomedical journals, you know, the Lancet, New England Journal, Science, Nature. And, but they took very minor parts of those papers individually and kind of made their own Frankenstein conclusion. Gotcha. Um, so, but it, but if you look at, there's a nature, uh, nature medicine uh, paper and another paper from the New England Journal of Medicine, where they are specifically asking that question: Was this man-made? Is there evidence of this cut-and-paste type virus creation? And the answer to that was no. Um, there was there was enough evidence uh, to show that this was a natural selection process that did occur in nature. Um, in a um, and a bat and this thing that looks like an armadillo. I'm not even sure how to pronounce it, like a pangolin. I think that's what the, the name of the animal is. And so it kind of bounced back. And, and the that spike protein, that's what binds to that receptor in the lungs. Yeah. That uh, mutated right where that binds and it, it and it, it attaches to the human receptor. It's called the ACE ACE receptor. And that binds the human much more tighter than, uh, than before. And that's kind of the novel part of the virus and the computer models that predict how these proteins interact, uh, according to our best modeling, it would predict that it doesn't bind that tightly, but it does. So that's, another case where nature sort of knew better than our own technology and how to, how to adapt. 
So when you take all of that into consideration, um, you know, that, that shows that it, it really was a naturally occurring virus that, that, that jumped species. And now the part of the, that documentary that I did agree or feel happened was how the, the Chinese government sort of covered up and suppressed information and, and silenced, uh, you know, physicians and scientists who were, who were concerned about this and everything was kind of swept under the rug until, until it got to a point where they really couldn't hide it anymore. Well, you know, that's an interesting point. And it just got me thinking about something as you were talking that, you know, there's this notion of freedom of speech. And, and whenever whenever I hear people, even in our country now, there's a push to sort of eliminate uh, certain speech or hate speech or, or whatever uh, offensive speech. And I know in the, in Great Britain, they've, they've actually done that. There's actually laws now in the books and, and some of the other Western countries are following suit. And I think the end result is exactly what you're talking about is this, is this uh, specter uh, that of untruth, you know, so if you start to suppress opinions, you start to suppress people's uh, discussions about this stuff, then it leaves room for these documentaries to come in and, 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 and spin it in a different way. And it's really easy to believe because we all know that, or we all believe or think I do personally that we're not getting the full story from China. We know that the people right. aren't allowed to go say exactly what they think and what they believe right or wrong. And then when you start with that backdrop, it's really easy to take the next step that uh, there's something more sinister going on, maybe even when there's not, uh, or maybe it's not as sinister as we think it is. Uh, and, you know, I, I watched that documentary, and I think the one of the, one of the things that I took away from that is I don't think – I do believe the uh, that society as a government – and I'm not talking about individuals or, or scientists right, necessarily, right. but as a governmental entity, I think they would be all too happy – to uh, somehow harness the power of a virus like this and use it offensively and, or at least have it in their potential arsenal as uh, as a weapon against the West. I mean, and maybe I sound like a crazy guy, but I, I, you know, anybody who studies history, if you go back and look at World War II, Hitler had stuff like this too. The Germans had uh, this kind of biological uh, weaponry at their, at their fingertips. And fortunately it wasn't used, but it doesn't surprise me at all that they, that they might want to use it for that purpose. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think China engineered this whole thing, you know, down to the genome sequence of the virus, but they're pretty good at taking advantage or, uh, you know, using this as an opportunity to expand, expand their power for sure. And then, you know, there was a lot of discussion in that documentary about the World Health Organization and how that might not be so, uh, uh, politically unbiased and what's your, do you have any take on that part of it? Yeah. You know, that was, uh, that part, I, uh, you know, I just don't know enough about, and again, you know, watching that and not knowing, is this spin? Is this fact? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I really couldn't comment on that, but I know they have a lot of influence on the world health organization. They being the Chinese. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I did a show uh, with uh, Jay Simons. We talked a lot about the scientific method and, and sort of this independent uh, ideal. Like the ideal is independent scientific research. So you're not, you're not, you're not governed by what you want the outcome to be, or at least the, the method is designed to sort of uh, detach you from that. If you do have that kind of uh, uh, bias or confirmation bias and, 
it just seems that whenever science and politics mix and and work towards a certain aim, I, I always get very skeptical about it, and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's hard to sort it all out. And that's how I felt about that documentary at the end of it. Both ways, yeah. right? I mean, I think they had an agenda, the people that made the documentary, as you said. And I think the, the, the their point probably is not premised upon uh, completely falsified uh, facts either. I mean, probably somewhere in the middle of the truth is. Right. But, so um, everybody knows. We got sent. We all watched the same documentary. Yeah. It's on YouTube. About an hour long. Um, it's the first documentary movie on CCP virus tracking down. The original origin. Uh, I don't. I don't know the exact name of it. But anytime I watch anything, a documentary, a show, you always got to start it out knowing that there's never going to be 100% right. that you can right. buy, no matter where, where it is, where it's coming from. Like you said, there's always going to be slighted, told in a certain way, and everything throughout there. I sent that to a friend of mine who lives in Washington D.C. and. Uh, I just wanted to see what his opinion was on it. And, uh, and it, it opened up a little chat between the two of us, but in the end it's you, you there, the parts that you can pick out that are, are, are there are the fact that they covered it up that they pushed it away. They didn't want anybody to come in and study it. They didn't want anybody to see what they had studied. You know what I mean? They, they had suppressed yeah. it until they could not any longer. Yeah. And, they are in, involved in biological warfare. Well, uh, yeah, that, that, that right there is, 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 is happening. Now, did they create this whole thing? Did they have it? Were they experimenting with it? And somebody spilled some on their shoe, went to the market for lunch. Man, that's, that's probably what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's really easy to believe it. And it's not like we're talking about our allies here. You know, it's like, it, we're talking right. about the enemy of the West, so to speak. So, it's, They've uh, declared war on us. They've said it. Even though we do business together, they still have. They're like no good with your, with with you. They like their way. Yeah. Yeah. The um. You know that doctor that spoke out and then was pressed. I mean that that made news on Fox and CNN, and you know that. They show that the picture of him oh. with the mask on. Yeah, yeah, and then no. he died, and then he died from SARS. Yeah, they he was locked on the him front up. Line. He, he was, he was, he was coming out, voicing out. They, you know, they they locked him up. Yeah, for inciting what a riot, not a riot, but inciting. Uh, there, there was something. They, they hit him with something. Yeah, so that you know, when when the, and that that's what's so hard about ferreting through news nowadays. It's you almost have to look up three or four different sources and if, and, and find what the consistency is. And from that you go, okay, that, that, this is probably what's going on. And it, it, it's so annoying. You just want to know what's, what the truth is and what's going on. And it's damn near impossible. It's, it's, it's very difficult to sort through and find something that you can feel comfortable with. Yeah. Like I mean, a while back when things were serious, and it always takes something serious for the news to get good, like for a while. And then they go back to their shenanigans. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like I remember at 9-11, I remember sitting there watching Dan Rather, you know what I mean? And and getting their live updates and going through down to that morning, you know what I mean? Hearing it on Howard Stern, you know, that was, right. that was my beginning of 9-11. And 
how you know I mean it just became real news real news but then it didn't take too long after that you know and then it starts slipping yeah and that's where we're at right now is because now all we can do is watch these curves and these graphs and read the numbers uh wait for tests to get out wait for people to buy the fake tests from china that are testing their employees with and going out through there because there's there's gonna be a lot of scams you know and there's gonna be a lot right. of fake tests out there and you know i mean it's like well it says fda on the package yet you better go to the site and make sure it's listed there because shysters right. they're good at, at at you know i mean printing from printing money to printing boxes that look real yeah and so then you know I mean people get then that's just because there's multiple employers you know i mean here in ohio that have said that they're starting to get these tests to test their their people well, you know, it's interesting in, in back to this, um, this notion of bias is that if you take, and maybe this is more of a scientific, here's my legal analysis of the scientific process. And I see this a lot. Like if you, uh, maybe the best now I'm a woodworker, right? And, and I, it, there's some detail on that, that, that appeals to me, but, uh, say you want to make a, a perfect square mitered frame and anybody who's done this with a piece of wood and try to cut four 45 degree angles perfectly all in the same length and drop them together and make a tight 45 degree mitered uh, square. It's not so easy. Your equipment has to be dead on. Everything has to be perfect. And the problem is that you end up with, uh, if you have just a little bit of error or a little bit of play in the first one, that's off. By the time you get all the way around, it's all screwed up. And then if you try to tweak one, you end up with others and you end up with others uh, and you have uh, even bigger problems. Uh, so if you take that from the scientific standpoint and you make a, if you make one assumption in your favor where there's a little bit of play in the joints and you keep adding all that up, but by, by the time you get to the very end, I mean, you've got a completely skewed result. Well, enough, enough woodworking talk, I suppose. But, uh, it, it, you know, it just shows, I think at the end of the day is that all the information, all the news, all the reporting, as you said, Jared is more like, uh, it, it's turned into what people's viewpoints are and what they want them to be or what they want this to be instead of like actual facts. Which is why, of course, we have lawyer talk because we only bring the good quality information. Well, I've got some questions for you that if, you, if we don't get answered now, that maybe we'll have to come back with it. I, I'll let you continue. I, I, I cut you off earlier, but I'll let you continue because I do have some some government questions that I, I like to. See oh, you. we're going to get to that. Yeah, we're going to get to that, and and we're going to get to that by way of science because I do have some more. Uh, I got some more scientific sort of questions and thoughts. I know. You know, it seems like everybody's been waiting for a vaccine. It seems like everybody's been waiting for testing. It seems like everybody's been waiting for like whatever is next in the midst of all this shutdown. Uh, Doc, where are we in your? Uh, where do you, do you know where we are with having a vaccine? With uh, with uh, trying to get this some sort of uh, headway on this mess? Well, a vaccine's going to take a while. Um, it always does. You know, if, if they can turn one out in a year, that's, that's pretty fast. Um, but what's, what's interesting in the meantime, uh, better treatments and mitigation of the disease is the goal. And there's been some interesting um, research and information I've come across. And, and one of the one thing that really stands out is that this disease is very unique. It's not your typical viral pneumonia. And uh, this, as these reports came from China, who has the most experience, 
in Italy and even in New York. And what they're finding is that um, the disease, in addition to lung inflammation, it, it mimics more of an altitude sickness or a, um, um, like almost like carbon monoxide poisoning. And um, so a typical viral pneumonia, uh, you, you get inflammation of the lungs and, you know, your lungs are very pliable. They easily open, you know, expand and then collapse. And, and that's how you breathe. And in a typical viral pneumonia, the lungs become uh, so irritated and inflamed that um, it becomes a lot harder to breathe, to, to move air through the lungs. And the it takes a lot of effort to breathe. And eventually your body just gets exhausted and your oxygen saturation drops. And that's sort of the trigger to go on a ventilator. And so what a ventilator does is it, it, it forces air into the lungs um, so that you're getting that oxygen exchange. And what, what, what they're seeing with the COVID-19 disease is that patients will have really low oxygen saturations, you know, numbers that would trigger uh, putting them on a ventilator. And because there's not a lot of ventilators around, you know, they give them supplemental oxygen and they actually start to get better. And they're seeing, they're seeing patients with oxygen saturations that are in the 70 to 80, you know, 70 to 80%, which is like a sign of impending death. And they're kind of breathing comfortably and they're not, they're a little out of it because their oxygen's low, but, um, but they're not like laboring to breathe. And so when I was reading these reports, I come across a uh, uh, interesting molecular paper that shows that some of these viral proteins actually attack uh, hemoglobin. They, uh, um, they interact with the, 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 the porphyrin heme group. That's the part on our hemoglobin that has the iron on it. And that's what holds on to the oxygen and carries it uh, to the rest of the body. And these proteins actually go in and kick out the iron. So now you got all, you know, you have hemoglobin that can't transport oxygen. Interesting. And it was really, yeah, it was interesting to read about what doctors are seeing clinically and then, uh, you know, learn this, these molecular findings, which would really explain those symptoms. Now, does that give and, uh, a path, I suppose, to start to deal with the symptoms, even if you're not eradicating the virus, you're at least getting it so people can survive the symptoms? Right. And that's why that uh, discussion on chloroquine uh, and hydroxychloroquine, the anti-malarial uh, medications entered into the discussion. That's why they're being used in that worldwide clinical trial. Um, I haven't seen any data on that yet, but that that mechanism is uh, uh, thought to be uh, a, a viable treatment solution because really what you're trying to do is keep the patients alive and fully oxygenated and give the body enough time to generate uh, antibodies against it. And that's what eventually clears out the virus. Have so there, this could be another way to do that. 
Have you run across any explanation yet? I've had a couple questions from some of our billions and billions of listeners, and I'm going to give them to you real quick. Have you, have you run across any information yet as to why certain people are more impacted or affected by this virus than others? In other words, like, you know, I could have had it already and not even known, or I could have it even at my age, a uh, sprite young uh, 49, and, uh, and it almost kills me. What is the, what's the, what gives there? Well, I think in, in time that will, uh, we'll have enough information, enough tissue samples uh, to make that determination. My, my guess is that variations in the, um, the receptors on the lungs, the ACE receptors, uh, and also possibly some variations in the hemoglobin. And, you know, that's why we have uh, sickle cell and thalassemia is um, because of malaria. And here's an example where uh, a species and a pathogen sort of co-evolve. So the reason why we have people with sickle cell is that if you're a carrier of it, you don't have, you know, you don't have the disease, but you're a carrier of it. So you have one, so half of your hemoglobin is is off a little bit. And what that does, it's more resistant uh, to malaria. And so in, in places where malaria is endemic, that's where you got sickle cell and thalassemias. So the carriers of that uh, had a greater chance of surviving malarial infections. And that type of genetic variability, it, it probably explains why some people can get the virus and it just passes through them. And, and for others, it's a, it's a life-ending a life uh, situation. Well, another question that came, uh, or another comment that I got for, to that answer, rather, is uh, I was speaking to uh, an expert that I work with professionally in my business, and uh, he was sort of uh, hypothesizing that perhaps this has got some relation to some other viruses that people have been exposed to, and others maybe have not. I mean, he even, he even sort of surmised, uh, he would guess that maybe it has some relationship even to the common cold. So if somebody's had a cold or had a certain uh, virus that has parts of this in it, do they now have antibodies that would um, uh, help them fight off this this one? And, and what are your thoughts on that thought or that uh, hypothesis? Uh, that's that's a good one because um, for the common cold, it's actually caused by three or four different viruses, and one of them is uh, within the coronavirus family. And um, I mean, it's possible that there could be parts of the less harmful coronavirus that, you know, causes a cold that maybe um, they do have some immunity against. Now, the, the one thing is, is that th this virus is very new. Um, the, that, that spike receptor has some key mutations in it that, that make it a whole different animal. Um, but, you know, that is, that is possible. Maybe someone, generated immune response against uh, a structure that's common within all coronaviruses. And uh, maybe that, uh, that, that explains why they did well, but that's, that's a hypothesis. You know, that might even take us to another uh, sort of a leg of that hypothesis. And that would be that, um, is it, is it possible? I'm trying to come up with just as a dumb lawyer, what, what would my guess be on something like this? And you get, See, if, if kids and young folks are not getting it, 
um, maybe through their elementary school and and or uh, daycare and or whatever, they've got exposure to stuff that maybe the older adults don't have, uh, at least not in the same degree. And is that uh, could that help explain some of that? Um, He's already shaking me off. Yeah. <laughs> you know that I don't that I don't I don't know about that. Um, I, you know, older patients. Uh, tend to be sicker their immune system are is is less robust you know if you think about it kids uh younger people they're still getting exposed to new things for the first time and they're just a little more adept at the immune systems uh, more efficient mobilizing in, in younger people versus older people gotcha all right well yeah. um the other question i had from one of the listeners was uh, food, you know, everybody's going through drive throughs everybody's ordering food, everybody is, um, you know, they're, they're encouraged, in fact, to go take out orders or to go get takeout orders. Uh, do we have to worry about what we're eating? In other words, if I go pick up a burger or pick up a nice gourmet meal from a restaurant that is otherwise closed and I consume it, uh, do I have concerns there? Transmission in food is very, very, very unlikely. Um, you know, the, it, it, yeah, it can be on surfaces. Uh, but the best thing to do with that is just wash it down with some bleach, you know, the packaging or whatever, uh, that's back to Jared's theory, right? Gargle with bleach. (laughs) Not not the food itself, but you know, packaging, um, you know, and, and if there happened to be coronavirus on something you ate, you're going to swallow it and your stomach acids are going to destroy it. Gotcha. What really, what really gets, so the one, you know, one way potentially is someone is sick, you know, sneezes on an apple and hands you the apple and you handle it with your hands and you eat the apple, you're actually okay. But as soon as you rub your eyes or your nose or something like that, then you're going to get it. Yeah. So really the, the, the way this spreads is from person to person from, from uh, aerosolized, you know, virus from a sneeze or a cough, you know, what I would do, and this is what we've been doing. We order our groceries online. We go pick them up. We take them out. We wipe down things with bleach and let it sit and dry off. Then we store it and wash our hands and we don't touch our face. If you do that, the transmission is pretty much zero. All right, let's talk about face masks. What do you think, Doc? What's up with the face masks? I saw something the other day. I saw it at Kroger's. I saw it at another store where I saw people that had face masks just like laying around or like took it off to use the phone and set it down on a counter, use the phone in the store, and then put the face mask back on. I got a feeling that these homemade face masks that people are just going to take, come home and throw on the counter and, and they touch it with their hands. They, it, I think that there's going to be more of a danger for, for non-sick people than sick people. If you're sick, wear it, please. Yeah. That, that's the thought. The thought is the mask uh, reduces the transmission from asymptomatic carriers or, or that- people who are actively, actively sick. I know people and I see what they do. They don't, they don't want, you know, 
they will lay their right, their mask down on a counter. Let's say it's on that counter. Now, would it absorb into the mask when you put the mask on? It's like chloroform. You know what I mean? You're you're just gonna inhale it now. Yeah, I mean, if there's if there's virus on the inside of the mask and you put it on, <laughs> it's like a, let's eat the petri dish, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just just my, my you know what this is. Noticing, I've been out, Jared. You're gonna store. appreciate this. This is this is the functional equivalent of putting a car cover on your on your hot rod in the garage. It gives you a false sense of protection that you can't hurt it. So all of a sudden bikes are leaning against it and people are leaning against it and and all you know and it gets it gets worse because you've got the it cover on. It protects against the dust, not the bicycles. Not the bicycles, but you think it's got you, you get this false sense that your paint job, your $10,000 paint job is protected when in fact uh, it's more at risk. And even if you put your, your car cover on outside, then the wind will eventually, uh, it causes a friction and eventually causes even bigger trouble. But that's a different show. Um, that was it. I was at the Kroger parking lot. Woman gets a cart, pulls it out. She's got her bag and all of her stuff. Now she, she pulls it out. Then she puts on gloves and she's got her mask sitting on the top, like where the baby's carriage is there. And then puts that mask on. And I just started thinking, I was like, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to, let's say that you work in a warehouse, maybe you take the mask off for lunch and you set it down, you know I mean, wherever your job is, and then pick it back up. And I'm not talking about the health people. You know I mean, hopefully that they're a little bit better, but I just wanted your opinion on encouraging people to make homemade masks and wear masks if you're not sick. Do you have an opinion, Doc? I think it's, it, yeah, it, it'll be a bigger um, advantage to the whole population to wear the mask more than not because of the asymptomatic spread. And if people don't do it, even if you don't do the mask perfectly, if you are shedding virus, the more often you have something over your mouth, the less it's, you know, the less those droplets or particles. Do you wear a mask spread. when you go out? Do you wear a mask? Yeah. You do, Steve, do you? Uh, no. No, I don't either. I don't. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to wear one. I, I do stay away <laughs> from people, but uh, yeah, yeah, know. no, that, I do that. And I try not to yeah. touch anything that I don't need to touch. And you know, I'm pretty good that way. I wear but, a rubber glove when I get gas, which means when I get out of the car, I put it on, I pump the gas. Now I take off my 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 cap before I touch the pump. And then I touch the pump, and then I'm done. I take it. I boom, bam, trash. Then I get in my car. I, think I don't pump my gas with the gloves on, then get in my car and drive down the road with my gloves on on the car. Right. Gloves are another thing to give people a false sense of security. Well, you, I've gone to yeah. delis before where I prefer to wash, see some guy wash his hand really nice before he makes my pastrami sandwich. Other than the kid that came up with the gloves on that he's been protecting himself, but not me. Right. Yeah. So... There's just a whole line on there. And, and this morning, you know, I mean, our, our governor recommended that everybody could go out in public to, to wear a mask. I, I, I wear a mask at work and I do wear gloves at the gas station. Um, but, you know, driving around. Yeah, it, it's really just if you're around other people. I'm like, say, let's say you had to go to essentials. You got to go see, you know, go to the grocery store. Or do you wear it then? I think that'd be a good idea. Do you? Do I? I don't go. Anybody? I don't. I, I, I don't I, go in the grocery store. I just oh, do okay. delivery. You do. <laughs> oh, all right. Okay. Okay. 
No, fair That's enough. Well, That's fair enough. I'm well, just, I'm just curious of what our habits were. We're sort of, we're sort of venturing onto this topic that I, I, I've been meaning to ask you about because I've read about it. I've heard a lot of. It's almost become a politically uh, incorrect question. It's like, what about herd immunity? And uh, and this is going to segue us nice into the open up and shut down argument. Right, right. Herd immunity is the goal, the eventual goal. Um, so you slow the spread so that the hospital is not overwhelmed. But at some point, a huge portion of the population is going to have been exposed. And what happens is after, when a certain portion of the population has been exposed and survived, they kind of block the transmission because if they're exposed to it, it gets cleared out instantly by their immune systems. They're not gonna spread it uh, to anyone else. So herd immunity is the, that's the goal. That that's the sort of the end game. Now that uh, has in, been in any outbreak, and it seems like that has been sort of uh, conflated now with uh, with the the folks who want to open up and say, "Hey, look, we want herd immunity, so we got to open the economy back up and let us get back to work." And then that becomes immediately shot down. No, we're we're not ready for that. You know, I and I even heard uh, these comments from different folks that maybe as long as eighteen months we have to do this and. Uh, it got me thinking about a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. And one is, it, if the goal, it seems to me the reasonable goal here would be to uh, slow the immediate spread of this, flatten the curve, so to speak, so we right. can ramp up uh, not only medical supplies and our resources, but then also not at the same time overwhelm the medical supplies and resources with a bunch of cases at once. But once we do that, uh, in, a, in a, from all the stats I've seen, New York has uh, sort of, I don't know, underestimate. They, they didn't like they have supplies. They, they didn't overwhelm their supplies. I mean, I guess they still have them. They're not sharing ventilators. I've heard, and and you know, they're not having to reuse masks. And and, and you know, I guess they're doing okay that way. Uh, and you know, if the goal is to just sort of get through that part of it, uh, how do we then get to herd immunity uh, when we have when we're keeping everybody at home? I mean, it seems almost counterintuitive uh, that you're slowing that process, and then. Uh, that got me thinking uh, about kids. And if we're not letting the kids go to school, this is sort of like uh, parenting 101, right? So if you if you shelter your kids from everything, they'd never get strong enough to deal with anything. And why would that be different at the viral level? You know, if you never expose your kid to the common cold, then the, your kid becomes an adult, they get the common cold and they die from it, or that would be the, the argument. Um, so wh- where do the curves cross on that and how do we figure that out? I know these are enormous questions, but I just want to get your opinion on it. Phew. Um, I, <laughs> well, I think here's where the testing comes into play. And we had talked about that on a, on the previous shows. Um, once you, once you get a handle on how many people have been exposed, I think there's some, um, epidemiological uh, equ- equations or modeling that you can use that, you know, once a certain percent of the population is infected, we now know <clears throat> when the remaining part gets infected, a certain percentage of them get sick and then a certain percent are going to have to go to the hospital. That's when we can make that determination. And I, I think what has to happen is there's just and I feel like a broken record. There needs to be more testing. There needs to be more testing. So who needs to be tested? I keep I keep hearing that. We need more testing. We need more testing. 
What 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 te- of who? The whole world? I'm um, just curious. I, I would say a as uh, not big the whole a, world. Let's get back to America. Yeah. Uh as big a big a proportion of the population as possible, including people who have never been sick and people who uh they got sick but it was mild and went away. Uh, you really want to find out what is the uh, exposure rate to the population. How many people have been exposed? Because that'll, because that will impact how. Quick so if I had it three months it. ago, you're, you're looking for a test that showed that I've had it once in my life. We always be able to tell if you had it. How does that work? Uh, it's an antibody test. So there, there's a couple things you can test for. And what is an antibody test? What does that break down to? What does that mean? So it, you're, when your body clears a virus it makes antibodies against it okay. and then you're able to make them for the rest of your life. So if you're ever exposed again, your, your body's all ready to unleash. It has this. that program ready to go. Yeah. Okay. It takes about 10 days to get there. And that's that critical phase from when you get sick to when you make it or you die. And so that's the antibody test. Um, the other two things to look for are the proteins that the virus makes or it's gene sequence. And that's what you can test for early in the infection. See if you have it. So you go from the positive negative to the antibody. Right. So like if you're sick, you check there. Yeah, when you're actively sick, that's when you kind of go for the presence so, so of you're the virus. The, the mass testing should be these antibody testings. And, and uh, I, I saw that this morning, uh, Governor DeWine had made a tweet about companies and businesses that were ordering these packages to test all of their employees. And right. I just, so did then they share that? Who do they, who gets that information? Um, right. the, I mean, if companies are testing, they just keep it or are they supposed to turn it over? Or I, I would hope I mean? the companies would turn it over to like disease. Who? To, public health professionals so that they yeah, can keep track. I, of I'm cringing over here in the bunker. I'm cringing because, uh, here, here's where, you know, this is where if, if you really have to, uh, it's like, let me tell you where this leads. Um, first of all, we have the, we have HIPAA, which is a whole thing that has other implications that we don't need to get into, but let's just talk about it as a right to privacy. So if I, I mean, it, at what point does that cease to become a medical record and instead become a public record? Uh, secondly, I have heard, uh, real political leaders in our country talking about travel restrictions, uh, for those who don't carry, so don't carry the card that they've been tested and, uh, are either have, have immunity already or, or, or whatever that would be required. And it just leads down this path of, Boy, awfulness! Traveling state to state with documentation—it's like how thick is how how big is that folder supposed to get? Are we going to have you know? Mean, yeah, slippery slope. It it gets really, really scary from a from a constitutional standpoint, and and I get it that there are there. It's a crisis, and we have all these problems, and you know, it's a it's it's like equivalent of wartime uh, uh, action. But I've never, rarely does the government ever dial back authority. And rarely does the government ever uh, sort of give authority back to the people. They just keep taking, taking, taking. And you end up in this scenario where as a justification, 
you say, well, we're just preventing the spread of coronavirus and getting you back to work. But in exchange for that, you have to give us uh, X, Y, Z, including your uh, molecular makeup, so to speak, uh, so we can identify you as a, as a carrier or a non-carrier. And then if you're not a carrier, then we have to restrict your travel. Uh, or if you are an active carrier, whatever it would be, we have to restrict your travel and, and abridge your constitutional rights. Why? Because uh, we want to protect the good, of, the good of the whole. Now, that is uh, completely – uh, totally inconsistent with this notion of individual sovereignty and in our in our personal rights and individual rights, and it gets scary. I mean, it's like I saw this after nine eleven. Everybody on one side of the aisle was all for uh, extra security, like, "Hey, you can come search my house anytime. I'm not a terrorist. I don't care." And I was thinking to myself, "You people are nuts. Do not give that up. Protect your right to privacy and freedom uh, to the end." And then the other side was saying, "This is crazy. We shouldn't have uh, these camps. We sh- or uh, you know, Cuba ought to be shut down. Uh, no more torture. No more of these uh, crazy searches at the airport. This is impinging on our rights." And now, ironically, it has shifted. It seems like those who were one position uh, the first time were another position the second time. And I remember having these debates with some folks I know. Uh, who would probably be classified as conservative, and they're saying, well, heck, I wouldn't mind getting pulled over on 23 because we got to stop the spread of this awful uh, opiate problem. Just check to set up a checkpoint for your car. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's insane because as soon as you give the government that power, it will get abused, and uh, it will then be turned on you in ways that you don't agree with. So I, I guess here's where I have no answer to this other than man, we at least have to be careful. If we're going to give up our personal information to the government that can be used to restrict what we do, and there is a constitutional right recognized by the Supreme Court to travel amongst the states. Boy, it gets scary. And then I wonder about the test. If uh, if you work somewhere and they're like, okay, you know, come back to work, we need you to take this test. I, I Do you have to take the test? Where does, you know, I mean, what kind of grounds is that on? I don't, I don't know. I guess maybe, yeah, or you don't work there, I guess. But I would never do that to my employees. I would feel that that's infringing on, on them that I don't, I, I would not want, I would not that want that to happen to me. I well, would not put that on them. Well, as employers, we do this all the time. That's on the private sector. So it's like if you're going to be required to take a P test, so you they want to make sure you're free yep. of, uh, of using illicit drugs then uh, you can choose to either take the job and, and take the test or not take the job and don't take the test. Now, that doesn't mean that Sheriff Pusser can come on into your house, knock on your door or, on the, or knock on your front door, come on into your house and make you pee in a cup or take your, your swab or stick a swab up your nose or whatever they do to test you. And, you know, those are two different things to me. Now, it, it gets a little bit dicier when the government mandates private employers to test and and then yes. share that information. To me, that's the same as the government doing it. Now, maybe there's a way to do it anonymously. I don't know. Yeah, what's, I mean, what's that saying? The seeds of tyranny are sowed are often sowed with benevolent intentions. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And and, yes. and that is because you know what's the next virus? What's the next thing that you have to put into your to your that the test that you have to, had to take? You know, to be able to travel to go see family members to to, to work. You know, a lot of people travel within their work. And if you're getting down to where, you know, and right now under our, our quarantine that we're in, uh, Pennsylvania said we're shutting down the liquor stores. People complain. So they're coming across the border to Ohio. Yeah. So now the governor has said you have to have an Ohio ID to purchase liquor in Ohio. 
Yes. And, you know, the, the more of that, that, you know, because it's like, well, we don't want them to come in here and spread it. And, you know, I guess that has, really, that has unintended consequences, too, because there are like chemically dependent alcoholics that if they stop drinking, they they will die. They'll yeah, go into delirium well, tremens. Well, and you die. know, you know what happened right now? People are brewed, uh, fired up the basement, man. Right. You know, yeah, right, the, right the now there's there all oh, the stills are rolling. Anybody that had a couple barrels of mash set aside right now, the price of a gallon of moonshine, I'm sure just went up. Yeah. Um, deliveries, you know, supply and demand. You, right. you take away the supply and the demand still exists. Right. The underground is, is still going to, it's not going to slow down. You're exactly right. I mean, They're this is speed like, up. Everybody's listened to our show. Hears me say stuff. We talk about this stuff all the time. It's like if you you cannot legislate morality and and behavior uh, and think it's not going to result in in some other. Uh, it's going to leak somewhere. So if you say you can't drink all of a sudden, uh, people are still going to drink. And and it just it just seems like this. It looks good. It sounds good. It and it's a politically. Uh, popular maybe to some, but at the end of the day, it's just like you said, Chris, it's going to have all these unintended consequences, uh, not the least of which would be uh, somebody who's uh, in danger of getting the DTs and dying, not getting their fix. And, uh, you know, that's a dangerous thing. And it, it just it, it just goes to show you some of the arbitrariness of, of what is essential and what is not essential. Uh, yeah. And, you know, maybe that's a, this is a good time to segue into some of these federalism notions federalism, I'm hearing this debate come up again. And, and what I love to do is, is sort of watch for when people have inconsistent positions on these types of issues. And it always is, it seems to be a topic or issue specific as opposed to maybe a bigger picture, because it's easy to say you don't believe in states' rights when the federal government is taking a position that's in your favor and forcing the individual states to do it that way. And it's easy to say you do believe in states' rights when your state is doing it uh, this way or you don't like the federal power. But can you can you maintain that position all the way through and be comfortable saying, uh, perhaps as a libertarian or, or somebody who, who bends conservative or at least traditionally conservative, um, that, you know, I don't think the federal government should have as much power as it does and we need to limit it uh, even when it results in individual state actions and local actions that are inconsistent with the issues you like. So, you know, it could be religion, it could be abortion, it could be uh, uh, whatever. But um, I guess the point is you can't have it both ways. And, and what I saw is, look, this is not to take a position one way or another on this, although maybe, maybe I don't know. Uh, but I saw people uh, criticizing Trump the other day for – uh, saying, I'll decide when I open up the economy. Uh, and they were criticizing him. I even, I even saw somebody on Facebook actually quote the Tenth Amendment and, uh, and go through all the doctrine of that and, and how Trump doesn't even understand the Tenth Amendment. Um, but I've also seen that uh, maybe that particular individual taking a position that's contrary to that uh, on other issues. And, and this is where uh, it gets, you know, historically we had a very uh, limited – federal government up until like 37 or so, 1937. And the New Deal comes along and sort of blows it all away with all sorts of doctrine and case law we don't need to get into. But uh, since that time, we've sort of had this administrative bloat that's occurred. And the federal government has slowly taken power in two forms or maybe several. One would be like, uh, call it conditional spending. So the states will give you money if you do this. Uh, otherwise, we're not going to give you money. 
Uh, and the other is uh, maybe to tax, which is in the Constitution, uh, or um, under the guise, under the hat of the Commerce Clause to regulate trade and uh, between the states, et cetera. But, you know, uh, this is coming up all the time because it, it, even in Ohio here, there is like this this notion of a, a spat between Trump and DeWine and DeWine saying, I'll do it my own way. Uh, probably hopefully consistent with the federal way, but I'm going to do it my own way anyway. And in the meantime, you got uh, the executive branch of the federal government saying, uh, you know, I'll, I'll open everything up when it's time. So, uh, Doc, I guess the question is, when is it time? How do you, it's like, it seems like the medical folks have this notion that we're going to do whatever it takes to tamp the virus. At the same time, you know, speaking from a small business perspective, I am one, uh, I'm dead in the water. And, uh, you know, we may have no disease, but we'll all be broke and the economy ruined and, and, and there'll be no commerce and nothing to support the healthcare system anyway. So uh, it just seems like people are on the extremes of both ends. And, and how do you, where do you fall on it? Well, I, I, it just gets, you got to, you have to know the, the prevalence of exposure. I, I really do think, um, you know, we're going to have to figure out a way uh, respecting all of the patient privacy issues that you've discussed and mentioned. Um, I think we have to get we have to get a handle on how many have been exposed, how many have yet to be exposed, uh, where we are in the uh, vaccine uh, effort. Um, can we get better at mitigating those who re require intensive intensive care um i think once and i guess what i'm really saying is once we have some sort of control and predictability in this virus like how many are going to be sick how many are going to go need hospitalization that's too vague that's i know too vague that's 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 until because there's no number on that that can be anything i know well i at least so, so I, I at least wish the government i mean i heard fauci say uh we'll let the virus dictate this and, and that's that's that, that's no tonic for me here right so it's like if the virus dictates it well it's so far it's winning you know the virus wins economy loses uh there's got to be a plan there's got to be at least some notion of what we're doing and what direction we're going and why we're doing it otherwise i think we're we're in danger of Really, some can we do these tests and run the numbers yet still conduct business in a safe way? I'm not saying we go back to where it was before the virus really hit us, to where we have limited amount of people in the stores, how we have the proper cleaning and the sanitizing, the gloves to the distancing. Don't you think that we can get along in in just like on the first well, Jared, of May? This is where this is where I you know I gave this some thought. Jared and I spoke last night. And uh, we both have frustrations good both ways on this. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm even been consistent about it, but um, it dawned on me that there's this old Lord acting quote, right? It, it power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And like you said, doc, it's like the seeds are in here of, of total authoritarianism because what goes on is it, it, to say, it, once you give the, say a governor, the authority almost unchecked and unfettered to shut down private industry and to say what is essential and what is non-essential by government edict uh, or fiat, y you end up with this 
sort of inconsistent array of businesses. So why is it why say a vape store would not be essential when uh, another store is? And why would say the legal business that I'm in be essential while another business is not? And how on earth can you possibly make that call without uh, some at least the appearance of bias, because it's easy to say if you don't like liquor, then that that's not essential. It's easy to say if you don't like vape, then that's not essential. It's easy to say if you don't like firearms, that's not essential. It's easy to say if you don't like fast food, that's not essential. And where does it end? I guess the point is when, when you give the government that kind of power, it, it starts to take the at least the appearance that uh, they're being arbitrary about it. And maybe- well, yeah, maybe the I mean, better play is, is what say what you're doing. What, what say say you have mandates on how commerce has to happen as opposed to what commerce should happen. So in speech, we talk about regulating free speech, and this is I know I'm <clears throat> sideways on one of my diatribes, but it's like if you take free speech and you say uh, you're you the government is going to regulate what I say. In other words, the content of my speech that is treated very very differently than. Uh, what we call time, place, and manner of my speech. For instance, it would be inappropriate for me to stage a, um, a march down High Street in Columbus, Ohio in the middle of rush hour. Uh, and that is if the government says I can't do that, but I can do it on Saturday morning. Uh, now, that's a time, place, and manner restriction. As long as everybody is treated the same, whether I'm one group or another, then that's okay. But if the government said you're not allowed to on Saturday morning even to deliver the message you want to deliver, uh, then now they've regulated content. And I think what they're doing now is they're shutting down almost based on the content of the business or the substance of the business as opposed to how it transacts. So if it's okay to go into a grocery store and wander around with or without masks and they just say, please try to stay six feet away, and there's really no regulation as to how that should occur – then what's the difference of doing that somewhere else? Or maybe they should say, all right, here are the rules at play that you have to implement. You're not allowed to have people in your store right now. Uh, you have to do it uh, through some other mechanism that doesn't or that limits or eliminates face-to-face contact. Um, that seems like a better way to handle this. And then they're not even going to get – they won't go down this path of the government deciding what is essential because it really scares the crap out of me to for – for the director of health anywhere in any state, any government, any to conclude that maybe vaping isn't essential, but uh, liquor is, or neither are essential, but tobacco, you can sell that at a gas station just because they're allowed to be open. Uh, it just gets, it goes down this path of, of, of danger. CBD stores not allowed to be open. I mean, there's stores that just sell CBD products. They're closed. There's stores that do have CBD product in their lineup, but yeah you know, no good. You can't go, you can't, you can't buy that. Now you can still buy the state run marijuana dispensaries, right? You know, they get a picket, you know, you can, you can buy alcohol, you know, state run facilities. You can, you can still purchase from there. And then, you know, so it was like, okay, because when they first came out with what was essential and not essential, and even the governor said it, read through there and, and decipher it yourself. Well, then they started getting complaints. And so then they had to get a, a board. So then now they've got people that if you get a complaint, they check you out. And within 24 hours or whatever, they get to make the call. And so it's just. And, and think about what you said. 
they get a complaint, they research it, and they make the call. There's not a hearing. There's not an opportunity to be heard. There's no what we call procedural due process. And, you know, if you think about the impact of this, this is the government telling you as a private citizen, you can't go do business on an activity uh, or in an area that was otherwise well within the confines of the law. I mean, they're not saying you're not allowed to go sell illegal drugs. I mean, they've always say that. They're saying, no, just because you're selling a product that we don't deem essential by standards that really are uh, amorphous, then you can't go earn a living. But the, well, you're, the guy they, next they, to you who's they, selling they pizzas down, can. They, they closed down the dog salons too, okay? And there were because there were complaints of hairdressers saying, hey, if we can't cut hair, you can't cut a dog's hair. Right. That's different. Somebody drops their dog off, you can, you can have your social distancing, you take it in the room, you cut the dog's hair. You know, I mean, what? It's not a human. You're not touching a human. You're touching a dog. But then they were like, you know, at first you were allowed and then now you're not allowed. I I guess if I were trying to craft something here, I would it it would start with. And maybe, Chris, this is where you can you can chime in. It It seems to me that it has to any regulation on this from the government emergency or not, it would have to start with deciding what actually transmits the disease. And how do we limit that? So selling vape in and of itself doesn't transmit the disease if it's done by mail order, for instance. It doesn't, it doesn't transmit the disease if it's done through, say, you had a store that you had like two rubber gloves and you stuck your hands out and you transported stuff that, you know, it, you could probably do it safely without having any worry about transmitting disease. And if you're going to let people out anyway to go buy pizzas where they can just walk right in and, and interact very personally, then... Uh, it, it's it's really hard to justify not allowing some other commerce to occur that is otherwise lawful. So once the government takes the content of the type of business and decides sort of at random, or at least per, seemingly at random, that it's not essential, man, it's a scary thought. And and people are cool well, with it. It's, what, if it's like, at, what if they start looking at your menu? What if they start saying, you know what, diabetes, we had this many deaths in diabetes. Look at these these heart heart disease deaths. We have got your menu. Nope, you're not essential anymore. We are going to write your menu because McDonald's is not good for diabetes. It's not good for heart disease. So they're allowed to be open. And a lot of people die of that every year. Yep. So, you, you know, but then if you let them dictate it and judge it and take it there. And like I say, let's just do it smart. Let's work the path. Let's go out and do the job. Then testing could come through. I don't think that a total quarantine. Now, I understand the first run. I did. I understood the 14 days. Where we're at now is getting very difficult, very difficult. I filled out everything that I could go to, and it's just it's getting difficult. And by the first, I do believe that they need to let us go back. Sure, limit the amount of people in stores, limit the distance. You know, still ask people to not go out as much as unless they need to. But I don't think that because I think it's California and Washington, they got the West Coast pack that they're teaming up and putting together. And and I think they said that, like, they extended it to the 15th of next month. Um, I mean, I I said this. It's sort of like if if all those in charge were also not getting paid. I'll bet you the shutdown would be shorter. That's all I can say. So if the governor were not getting his paycheck, could not pay his mortgage, could not go buy groceries, 
could not go do and was watching his his business that he built for 25 26 years slowly uh, disappear into uh, the deep, dark, murky waters of the freezing cold Atlantic COVID ocean, never to come back again, then I'll bet you that they would immediately come up with a better scheme that didn't require they uh, have a business. businesses to go in. It's called Ohio. It's it's called Ohio. That's the business that they they were that they were supposed to run. Yeah, but they, that's and, they don't they're not personally vested. That's the problem. Well, they're not getting any much income right now. You well, know? that's what, well, I mean, Ohio, sure. That I opened last month and there's people already got, don't have the sales tax out there. The syntax in, in the booze that's being poured in the bars that would always go up is it, not there. No, um, this, but here's the problem. That has not come around yet. That those the, the, that has not come home to roost yet. It will when the government can't, when Ohio or any other state or the federal government can't afford anymore to pay all the people who are sitting at home. Then, then that's when the that's when the the crap really hits the fan because you've got this now. They're going to really feel say what others have felt because, and the only other thing I'm going to I'm going to rant about here, and then we can sort of wrap it up. But it's it's this notion that I'm reading. I I, I read today how awesome all these PPP loans are and the disaster relief loans and all this stuff that's happening. Well, I'm here to tell you. Um, <laughs> If if you're a small business and you applied for whatever protection and disaster relief you could have four weeks ago, you still don't have it. And how do I know this? Because I am a small business who applied, and you know I don't have anything, and I've not received a paycheck, I've not received um, uh, unemployment, I've not received anything. And the notion, and and again, I'm not. This isn't a complaint about the fact that I'm not getting something, but it is a complaint about the fact that. If anybody out there thinks that those those that care package or whatever it is is solving this or working to fix this, it is not. This is not. Uh, there's small businesses who depend upon uh, day in and day out activity to stay afloat, and people are losing them. So when there's protesters say during the governor's speech, I get that people. You know, I see both sides of it. On Facebook, there's ranting like, "Who are these idiots out there pro- protesting?" And then the other people are like, who are these idiots who don't understand? And maybe both are right. You know, it's like you, you, it's all about the mountain you're standing on and the perspective that you have. So if you're at home and you're at your kitchen table doing work with a full paycheck and the only nuisance you have is that your kids are bugging you, well, all right, well, there's people who have it worse, all right, and they don't have a paycheck. They don't have any benefits coming their way, uh, and they can't even feed the kids that are bugging them. So I guess a little bit of this understanding goes a long way, I think. Don't, and the only message I have here is, is not a complaint about the benefits that exist or don't. The only message is do not think, if you already do, that small businesses have lots of stuff that's helping them because they don't. Uh, they just don't. And uh, it, the longer this goes on, the less likely it is that they can survive. So that's my two cents. There's a number of places that will not reopen. There's a number of places that will but won't make it. And, and like I say, somebody's got it worse than me. You know, uh, these protection programs and, and disaster programs they have, have out there are there. But it's like cracking a safe. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's maybe you'll get it, maybe you won't. And you got to do a lot of, of finagling to try to get the door open. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just, I, I just think that at one point, too, we got to go back to living. Uh, we, we, I think as people, we do. We have to go back to living. Uh, because that is going to affect 
people emotionally, there's going to be scars and that you will implement on yourself by overthinking and not stopping. And and I'm guilty of it. Uh, It's just, and then I I guess we don't have time for Steve. We'll have to make it another one. I did have some questions for you because Ohio has the longest lockdown of all 50 States. Uh, the, the governor started this and they, even before he officially made it official, he had started closing certain businesses and going through shutting down events. You know what I mean? Shutting down a lot of, a lot of things that were going to go on. He shut them down and, and that was before. So he did what he felt was right and he's got rights to protect his state. And that's why different States have different laws and you've got a federal law blanket that goes over everything. And what I wanted to talk to you about was how far does the president have over the governors, which he does, because you can't have somebody going totally rogue. You can't have a number of states join up and fight against the federal government to a point unless they have to. I don't know the exact run of it. No. Yeah. You get into this this weird uh, nebulous area of emergency powers of the executive branch and and sort of these wartime powers, so to speak. And, um, you know, it's not necessarily obvious how far that goes. And I think what we'll do is we're going to take that on in a whole nother show. We'll get, uh, I'll get get the backdrop of it and some of the history of it and we can discuss it, but it it is, you know, it, it goes back to a little bit what we were talking about with the 10th amendment and this notion of federalism that, uh, you know, once you let the camel in the tent, and once you let the federal government in your state tent and you start, you make a deal for the money, you make a deal for the benefits, you make a deal for whatever it is you want that day. Well, then you also have to accept no. that you're getting all the good with the bad and the bad with the good. You're not going to get just what you want. You're going to get, you're going to get an exercise of the power that you have granted the other. Uh, and that power can be exercised in all sorts of ways that you maybe don't even contemplate at the time you give it because, you know, it's it, the old term short money, right? You, you take this and it ends up being a disaster later. Um, there's just got to be – this is why I, I, I fight to the death, so to speak, to protect individual liberties and rights because they are so easy to give up in times like this. It is so easy to trade uh, your freedom for comfort or your safety, so to speak, for, uh, for freedom. And you end up with, uh, man, there's no stop to it, but all right. Well, any last commentary? Because I, I think I've, I've I've made my speeches for the day. Yeah. I've got too much. So I'll just let it rest until we get back next time. Yeah. We'll get back next time. So doc, uh, as always, man, we appreciate it. And, uh, we want to do this again and again and again as this thing uh, continues to progress. I, I love hearing the the actual science uh, that in, in somebody else told me this and I'll shut up. It's like they always say, well, I told you the same thing and about something having to do with the health of the virus or, or this or that. And, and I always say, well, look, I don't trust it when it comes from a politician or somebody on the news saying it. I just don't and because I see an agenda behind it that scares me. And then when I get to hear it from you, it always sort of is uh, – I, I know you well enough to know that it's not politically motivated one way or another. You just tell me what you know and what you don't. So uh, that's invaluable to me. Well, gee, thanks. Gee, thanks. There you go. <laughs> so you can, you can air that for all your buddies, yeah. 
right. All right. Well, anyway, this has been another a riveting episode of Lawyer Talk off the record uh, or on the air, off the whatever it is, off the record, on the air with Doc Pulaski, Jared and Steve here with Lawyer Talk, uh, bringing you all the latest on COVID and everything, uh, everything else. So uh, tune in next time. We'll be here coming up uh, for the Blitz, as we've been doing every single Wednesday morning. Uh, so anybody who has listened to that now knows that we're doing it on Lawyer Talk as well. And uh, feel free to send us questions. Uh, until then, this is Lawyer Talk off the record, on the air, off the air, on the record, whatever it is. We'll see you.